Morning, bitches, and welcome to Wellness for Real. It's your girl, Mylena. And this week, we have a very special guest. I feel like I say that every single week, but all of our guests are so special to us. Um, but this episode today, you guys, everybody needs to listen to this. If you know somebody who struggles with their body and their brain and building new habits around our wellness, you need to share this episode with them after you listen to it. We bring Sarah Best, a certified nutritionist, onto the show. She is the creator of Change Your Brain, Change Your Body. And she talks all about the science of our brains and how that affects how we build new habits and change our lifestyle and all that good stuff. So buckle up, y'all. It's about to get real. This episode is really amazing. All right. So today we have Sarah Best with us. She's a certified nutritionist, uh, author of Turning Off the Tap and creator of the program, Change Your Brain, Change Your Body. Uh, How are you today, Sarah? I'm awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This is super fun. Yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah, I was was just saying Felicia has been raving about you and your book and been trying to get you on the show since we started this podcast last September. So we're really excited to have you on. Um, Do you just want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Absolutely. Yeah. So yes, my name is Sarah. Um, I am a nutritionist, but people like to joke that I'm the nutritionist who never talks about food. (laughs) um, The reason for that is because when I started as a nutritionist, I did I did all the things I thought you were supposed to do as a nutritionist. You know, I had clients and I did meal plans and I shared recipes and I posted that stuff online. And, you know, we talked about calories and protein and all of that. And, you know, what I found was um, a pattern, like people would do really well with it. They were excited. They were gung ho. They were all in. And then, you know, life would get in the way and they would start missing calls or they would get on calls and be like, oh, you know, I I did so well all day, but then I binged at night or I did really well during the week and then ruined it all on the weekend. And I really started to notice this theme. And I also connected the dots to my own food story, which was very much the same. I was a nutritionist and I was still doing really well all day and then binging at night after I got the kids in bed. You know, that was my time, right? To like hit the couch, watch Real Housewives, get out the (laughs) snacks. So it was my pattern as well. I totally understood. And I started to like the penny dropped for me. And I was like, there is a missing piece of this puzzle, right? Like it is not about giving people more information. People don't need more recipes or (laughs) meal plans. Like if you Google quick and healthy recipes, you're going to get about a billion hits, right? There's no shortage of information about how to, you know, improve your health or lose weight or whatever your health goals are. The missing piece of the puzzle is like doing it. So that's really where I became obsessed with that. And I started to learn so much about how the brain really works around things like cravings and and habits and um, our emotional connections with food and how we use food as sort of a self-care system and just all of that stuff. So now that's what I do. I really, I don't talk about food. And, you know, people joke, like I literally never talk about protein or calcium. I don't even, I don't even know what people are talking about these days in terms of all that stuff. What I really am obsessed with is helping people bridge that gap between knowing what to do and not and doing it consistently so that they can really get the results that they want so yeah i run a program called change your brain change your body where we it's an eight-week program where we go really deep into that sort of reprogramming work um i teach things like mindful eating and all of that kind of thing and yeah my book um came out almost two years ago now turning off the tap overcoming the real reasons we overeat which is really sort of an explanation of that whole system and going deeper into that missing piece of the puzzle so that's a bit about me yep 
I love, that's what clicked for me was that I think we all have, you know, have had that challenge. And for me, I got it. I mean, I understood it. It was more, okay, well, but how do I change it? And so I feel like that's always sort of the challenge of you get it, but then what are the steps to sort of get there? And I think that's the second piece of like your program is talking about that, but what you get it, but then what do you do when it's like, you know, you're at the restaurant and everybody's pressuring you and you know, everyone's ordering the calamari or what do you do when it's the holidays or what do you do when you're traveling or when it's nighttime and you're just stressed and exhausted? Like, again, it's one thing to get it, but it's another thing to exactly to do, do it, it consistently to when it's, when it's hard, which is often is. So that's, yeah, that's really and my think, area. You know, Marlene and I have been doing this for a while and we met on Instagram because we both um, were in a weight loss journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed being on Instagram, this pattern. Of I see all these people that I follow lose all this weight. And then all of a sudden I see them, they're oh, trying a new diet. <laughs> I'm not doing weight watchers. I'm doing this diet. I'm doing keto or I'm trying this yeah. or I'm intuitively eating or and slowly gaining the weight back. And I've seen it, you know, with a, a lot of people that I've followed. Um, and I feel like this was, this is the missing thing. And so I just want you to talk a little bit about like, you talk a little bit about willpower and how people think they can kind of just will, will themselves back into, I'm going to start on Monday. I'm going to get back on. I'm going to start on Monday. And could you talk a little bit about sort of that piece? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Willpower is usually the strategy people have when, whenever they pick that new diet. So I'm going to do keto. I'm going to do intermittent fasting. I'm going to cut out sugar. I'm going to, you know, whatever. Um, and their primary tool for doing that is going to be willpower or a different discipline. word, motivation, <laughs> discipline, you know, whatever They're, I call it white knuckling, right? Like you're going to be like, don't eat the thing. Don't eat the thing, you know? Right. And we all know that that, I mean, it's, it's like the only tool people have in the toolbox, but we all know intuitively, I think that it's not sustainable. It doesn't work. And there's a few reasons for that. One is just that willpower, what we know about willpower in terms of the brain is that willpower is very much just like a muscle in your body. So it can be strengthened. There are ways to kind of a little bit boost your willpower, but it will always eventually fail you because it'll get tired out just like any other muscle in your body. And this is part of the reason why nighttime snacking is the number one thing people ask me about because you know, your willpower again, it's like a muscle or sometimes I like to think of it as like a bank account. You know, when you wake up in the morning, assuming you had a decent sleep, you have like a hundred units in your willpower bank account, let's say. And as you go through the day and you make choices and they don't have to be choices like, will I have the donut or not? It could be choices like, am I going to answer this email right now? Or what am I going to say to this coworker? Or should I click on this Facebook link or whatever, right? Every little choice, what am I going to wear? Um, every decision you make, right? Because it's really just decision-making power. That's what willpower is. Takes away a little withdrawal from that bank account. And so by the end of the day, our bank account is run dry and we are have literally no willpower left, right? That, that muscle is tired out. And so now you're totally vulnerable to the chips in the cupboard or the ice cream or whatever your husband brings home or, you know, like that's why people, part of the reason why the nighttime snacking issue is such a big one because the willpower just, just lets go. So we have to have a better strategy about how to fuel the choices we want, the better, the healthier choices we want to make rather than just relying on willpower, just because it's, it's just not sustainable. And it will always, um, leave you when you need it most that's when it will run out right in the evening or or stressful times right holidays travel you know these are the times when we feel like we need it the most how selling no yes exactly (laughs) exactly anything that's going on in your life right living through a (laughs) pandemic like these are things that cause a lot of stress and that's those again requires a lot of decision making right just like 
again, remember that willpower is just decision-making power. So every time you make any decision, it's chipping away at that willpower bank account. So you can see then why these situations become what I call sort of danger zones about food choices, because you're making a lot of choices, you're under a lot of stress, your willpower bank account is going down, 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 and then it's like a perfect storm for making poor food choices. So it's just not a sustainable strategy. And what I hate is I see people sort of beating themselves up, right? Like, oh, I'm so weak, or I just, I'm not disciplined enough, or I, I just can't get the motivation together. It's like, we heap all this judgment on ourselves. And that really makes things even worse, which we can get into in a minute if you want, but- <laughs> Oh yes. <laughs> fire, right? That self-judgment, which we all do, is fuel to the fire. But but the important thing to realize is it's not it's not a level of, it's not a character flaw, right? That you run out of willpower. It's literally how your brain is wired. You just, it doesn't work that way. It's not sustainable. So we need a better strategy. Yeah. So can we talk about like rewiring your brain? Because this is something I talk a lot about uh, more specifically with like how we talk to ourselves. Like you yeah. mentioned, right? Like we're so hard on ourselves all the time. Um, and we talk about this on the show all the time. Like for me, a big piece of my wellness journey has been rewiring my brain and the way that I talk to myself. Um, and I don't think people realize, like people always ask me, they're like, how, like, are you, aren't you afraid you're going to gain all your weight back? Aren't you afraid you're going to like regress back to like the person you were before? And I'm always like, no, I have zero fear of that because the way I used to live literally makes no sense to me anymore. Like it, it my brain just doesn't work that way anymore. So do you just want to talk about um, like how, how do people rewire their brain? Right. Like, especially yeah. around food, because that's what we hear the most. Well, first of all, that's so fantastic that you have done that work because that is, I mean, I feel like I could, I say it so much like ad nauseum because that is really the work. It's not about figuring out how many protein grams, right? It's not yeah. about figuring out a carb eating strategy or finding sugar-free snack recipes or something like that is actually the easy part. The hard part is what yes. exactly what you are saying and not yeah. just rewiring our choices and behaviors around food, but even more importantly, rewiring those thoughts, as you're saying, because, um, sorry, what did you ask me about? Oh, right. About <laughs> how, how about, do people start that process? Rewire, right. Yes, yes, Cause yes, it's okay. really hard to start just like anything, right. The yes, starting point starting is, is the hard part. And can you have those dopamine piece too, before you get into how to change it? Like just so people can understand how the brain works a little bit. Okay, so dopamine and, and the and the rewiring are two two different. Well, not I mean they're they work together. The same puzzle, but dopamine. You want to talk dopamine first, and then we can okay. talk about how to. And fix then we'll talk about sense. how to rewire. Okay, sure. so dopamine is a neurotransmitter in the brain, and what that just I mean I, I won't geek out on all the neuroscience here, but like neurotransmitters are chemicals basically that your brain uses to communicate. Neurons communicate with each other through neurotransmitters, and there's a whole bunch of them, and you've probably heard. People have heard of like serotonin and all of these things, right? So dopamine is a neurotransmitter. And the reason it's important in these conversations is because it's very, very connected to things like cravings and addiction, right? In general, which is, you know, a lot of people get uncomfortable when we talk about food addiction. And I used to shy away from it a bit because this sort of sometimes the, what I will say, the sort of traditional addiction community sometimes will get a little, um, uncomfortable when you talk about food addiction, but I've been doing this long enough that I am now comfortable talking about food addiction because I just see it so often. It's, it's real. And yes, it's real. It's real. And um, anyway, dopamine is very connected to things like cravings and addiction. Anytime you feel sort of like um, you're not in control anymore, like you just, you know better, but you're not doing better. That's often dopamine is at play. And the thing about dopamine is um, sometimes people think of it as like 
we do it because it feels good. We do things that release dopamine because they feel good. That's not entirely true. Dopamine is primarily a learning neurotransmitter. So it's really there to get you to learn and act. And in fact, we see um, when people have shortages of dopamine or their brain isn't uptaking enough dopamine, we see things like Parkinson's, right? Where people can become almost catatonic and they will like starve to death because they just don't have the, there's no, there's, their brain isn't telling them to act, go, isn't, isn't saying go do anything, go eat or anything like that. So, so dopamine is there to really get you to act. So the, what dopamine's doing is it finds something that again, in our prehistoric days, we might be related to survival, like food, especially high sugary foods, high carbohydrate foods, things like sex, things like um, resource, getting more resources. So like in our modern day, that looks like gambling or shopping, um, <laughs> things related to connecting with the community, which again, today looks like addiction to our smartphones and social media. So any of these things will release a lot of dopamine in the brain, but that is not telling your brain this feels good. What it's saying to your brain is do this more. This is going to feel really good, right? It's like a, it makes you chase things, it makes you act which again, back in caveman days was great. You would find like a berry bush that was full of concentrated sugar, which would, is, would be good for you back then. And your brain would release, flood your, flood your brain with dopamine to say, remember this berry bush, come back here, eat this more, right? This is good, we need this. Again, great in caveman days, not great when we're surrounded by all of these dopamine releasing behaviors and products. In fact, we live in a culture, an economy of dopamine really. So what it's constantly telling us is just one more, right? This is the feeling of like, I just need one more bowl of ice cream, just one more handful of chips, just one more serving of lasagna, right? It's like this chasing, you're chasing this feeling, but it's, you're never really satisfied. That itch never really gets scratched, right? It's just this, you're in this constant treadmill. So that's why we have to think about how dopamine plays into it, because you're not going to get rid of those dopamine receptors in the brain. And, and, and the truth is, unfortunately, things like sugar and processed carbohydrates are always going to flood your brain with dopamine. So we have to kind of understand that a little bit and, and work that into our strategy as we're making plans about food. So, okay, so then you want to talk about reprogramming, and we can talk a little bit about how to change that dopamine reaction as well. Um, when I talk about programming, and, and you mentioned about the thought habits, which is so great, because it's one of the things people are very used to there at talking about habits, right, in terms of like, I have a habit of snacking at night, or I have a habit of always wanting something sweet after a meal. But thought habits are just as real as terms of habits, and just as important, I think, in the conversation. And the way any habit is formed in the brain is through what we call neural pathways. So whenever two neurons fire together. Like, let's say we're, we won't even talk about food. Let's say we're just talking about like how you brush your teeth. You know, when you were a little kid, someone taught you how to brush your teeth and it was hard at the beginning, but your, your mom or someone stood there and taught you how to brush your teeth. And you repeated and repeated and repeated until the point, and those neurons involved in teeth brushing, right? Hand moving and all of that, they started talking to each other. And the more they talked to each other, they actually started wiring together, right? There's a saying in psychology that neurons that fire together wire together. And they actually do that. As they repeat, they talk and talk and talk, brush teeth, brush teeth, brush teeth. They literally form like a little bridge, like a physical pathway. And this means that after enough repetition, you don't have to think about brushing your teeth anymore, right? You don't sit there today and think like, oh, right, how do I do this again? Like, don't stab myself, move. <laughs> like you're in there, you're thinking about what the day was, what you have to still do. Oh shoot, I forgot to put the laundry in the dryer. Like you gotta do that while you're brushing your teeth. You don't have to think about it. 
And the reason you don't have to think about it is because of those neural pathways. Now, that's great for brushing your teeth. It's great for things like walking and talking and all of those things, because we wouldn't want to have to remember how to do those every day. Not so great when you have repeated behaviors like turning to food when you're stressed, turning to food when you're bored, turning to food at night, rewarding yourself with food, you know, all of these relationships that we have also often been repeating since we were children. Uh, we've also developed really strong neural pathways around those behaviors. And so they've become habits and they, and they feel natural. They feel familiar. They feel comfortable. And doing anything different, like sitting in front of the TV without that snack, now feels really uncomfortable. It feels like if you tried to like brush your teeth with the wrong hand, right? You'd be like, oh, that's so weird. And I, I don't even know what I'm doing. Um, it's the same kind of thing. It's really uncomfortable. And so, so how we change all of that what we know about the brain and what we call neuroplasticity now, which is like this sense that we really can, it's like plastic, you can change those neural pathways, but it requires repeating new behaviors. And so this is where it gets, you know, again, I always say, I don't have any magic beans. I have no quick fix. This is, it's hard, um, but we have to repeat new healthier behaviors, which I think begins with what you were just saying about changing our thoughts, because that's really where it all comes from. Can you kind of sit in that discomfort? Because it will be uncomfortable, right? Everything in you will be saying, oh my gosh, I just really need my snack. And we come up with all kinds of reasons. I deserve it. I'll start again tomorrow. <laughs> it's a fat-free, sugar-free, blah, 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 blah <laughs> snack, so I can have all of it. Like We come up with all kinds of rationalizations in order to keep repeating those habits because they feel so familiar and and thus so safe to your brain right your brain loves doing things your brain loves repeating things because it feels safe does that answer your question about reprogramming a little bit yeah definitely yeah. um and I, i'm also curious about so we're talking about like snacking and like emotional eating and all that stuff i feel like i've found um like a healthier relationship with those types of things. Like people can talk about emotional eating, like it's a bad thing, right? Like, like that good or bad type of mentality. Right. Um, but like, I just want to kind of talk about like how nuanced all of this is because it's not like there, it's not like black and white, right? Like, no. um, like no. emotional eating, like for me, like our cultural eating, right? Eating foods that like remind you of like your childhood that like help you, you know, might make you feel better if you're going through something difficult, things like or that. Eating with so your family, eating with your friends, yes, your so socializing, Social. things like that. Right. So I just kind of want to touch on that. Cause I want to make sure people aren't thinking like, oh, this is like a good or it's bad a black or white situation. Yeah. I would agree. Cause sometimes I eat emotionally intentionally. Like yes. it's not unintentionally it's well, right. it's not, it's like, listen, I had a, I, I'm gonna go celebrate. We're going out to dinner. I closed a really big client and my husband and I are going to dinner and I'm excited yeah. about it and it's yes. intentional and I'm not, you know, overeating. Like I'm not going crazy, but it's something that's an, it's an emotion and I'm using food, you know, to, as part of my celebration, but it's very intentional and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. And so it should be, food <laughs> can be fantastic. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. So I like to think of this, the word I use for this is mindful indulgence. Cause I talk a lot about mindful eating. I run a mindful eating challenge. Cause I think mindful eating is, it's just one tool, but it's a really great tool for a lot of these things, just becoming more aware. So you made a great um, example there, Felicia, about going out with your husband, because this is what I think, this is what I mean about mindful indulgence. There's a difference between 
oh my God, I've had such a horrible day. I'm just going to drown myself in the wine and the potato chips in front of the TV, right? And you're not paying attention at all. You're just like hand in the bag, eating, like you're not even paying attention, zoned out, right? We've all been there. Yeah, yeah. we've all been there. Now, this is not a healthy relationship with food. And I would not encourage people to do that. But if you are, say, you know, you're celebrating with your husband or it's your birthday or you're making a cake with your kids or you're, you know, it's family party and your grandmother brings over like the best, most world famous brownies that she always makes. Like that's a beautiful thing. And we should indulge in that and, and enjoy that, but we should do it in a really present mindful way, right? Like be at that restaurant, be present with this amazing food from this, your favorite restaurant, amazing chef, your favorite dish, right? Like actually be present with it, enjoy it, savor it. If you're eating those brownies, you know, like really enjoy them. Don't sit in front of the TV. Like I always think of it as, um, you know, cause people say to me, well, Sarah, but I just love food. I just love food. Like, what am I supposed to do? I, what you're saying? I shouldn't love food. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that imagine you say you love a person, right? You love a person and that person maybe goes away for a long time and now they've come back home and you're being reunited. Do you sit in front of the TV and watch Real Housewives while they're talking and you just totally ignore them and zone out and just watch TV? <laughs> no, like you're, you're, if you love them, be present with them, right? Like be connected, enjoy every minute, take it all in, really have it, right? Give your, let, let yourself have it. It's the same with the amazing food. If you love food, great, so do I. I love to cook, I love to eat, I love food. Um, but if I'm gonna do that, I wanna, what does a loving relationship with food really look like? I would argue it looks like being present with it, being mindful with it and listening to your body, right? Like when you're present, when you're mindful, you tend to eat, you tend to, I don't even say eat less because I never want to say that our goal is to eat less, but to not overeat, right? You tend to overeat less because when you're really present and you're at that restaurant and you're enjoying it, or even you're eating that brownie or you're having that glass of wine or whatever, if you're really there and you're not zoned out watching TV or scrolling through the iPad or whatever, you're able to enjoy it, but you're also able to listen to your body when your body says you've had enough, right? Like now I am satisfied. I have had four bites of this delicious decadent gooey brownie. I'm good. I don't need yeah. to eat the whole thing because I'm watching TV, right. you know? So I would say, yeah, that's for me, that's all about mindful indulgence, just being present with it. Let yourself have it. Absolutely. But don't, you know, you know what I mean about that relationship? And I, I, I just think of it as like, how would you do it if you loved a person? I love that like yeah, connection really good... there. Yeah. That that's, um, yeah, that's really good. Um, and that's something that I've really, um, we we're just me and Felicia were talking before we started recording with you. And, um, I was talking about how different my habits are now. Like even like last night, my husband and I went to Culver's, um, you know, and anytime I like eat out at a fast food restaurant or do something, um, like, when I would go maybe say to McDonald's, like back in the day before I worked on all of my brain stuff, yeah. you know, I would get a ridiculous amount of food, right? I would get like a huge fry, cookies, a burger, you know, chicken nugget, like a ridiculous amount of food, right? And I would eat it all and it would be so mindless. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like, now I, you know, I'll go to Culver's or whatever, and I'll get something just filling and I, it's just like, it's so different now. And I just want to help people get to that point because for someone, you know, I spent pretty much my entire life, the first 30 years of my life, really struggling with my relationship with food. Um, and now it's like, oh, complete 180. And it's so freeing. And I just want everybody to have that freedom. Yeah. Um, and something that I see kind of trending now is a lot of people talking about intuitive 
eating, mm. which kind of is yeah. becoming a diet it in a sense, diet-y. right? feels really <laughs> diety. And I noticed you're saying mindfully eating. Yeah. So I was hoping that you could just talk about maybe the difference between those two things or. Sure. Um, yeah. People ask me about intuitive eating a lot. So here's what I think about it. So first of all, if anyone doesn't know, intuitive eating is sort of like listening to your body and letting your body decide. I always think of it as like, if you've ever heard of like unschooling, you know, it's like the next step from homeschooling and where it's like, you just let the kids decide what the curriculum is. You let them, you be guided by their whims and interests and stuff. I always think of intuitive eating kind of like that. The idea is that you just listen to your body and whatever your body wants, you give it. And if it's hungry, you eat. And if once you're satisfied, you stop. What I think about intuitive eating is that that's fantastic. That sounds amazing. I think we should all do that. The problem is <laughs> that at least the women I work with, which is hundreds, um, they don't know, speak their body's language anymore, as I say it. You know, we talked about those neural pathways and how anything you repeat, you get really good at, it becomes a habit, you do it automatically. Dieting, what dieting teaches you is to ignore your body, to not trust it, right? If it is hungry, do not eat. If it is craving something, ignore it, have a glass of water, go for a walk, you know, whatever, don't listen to it. We cannot trust our bodies. That is what dieting teaches us. And I don't know about you guys, but most of the women in my community have been on some kind of diet on and off for decades, like yeah. some of them since they were seven, right? Yeah. You know, and so think of how good they have become. At, if you practice that every day, multiple times a day for decades, imagine if you did that with the violin or something, like you'd be so good. <laughs> so they are like masters at ignoring their bodies to the point now where they have no idea. I have women in my community that can't, they don't even know what it feels like to be hungry or not hungry. Though when I talk about that, they're like, Sarah, that sounds great. I have no idea what that feels like in my body. Cause they just, all they've done is, is go by the points or the they're weighing things or, you know, they don't listen to their bodies at all. So, so while intuitive eating, I think sounds like a great concept. I just think it's, it's unrealistic for a lot of people to try to start there. Sure. Maybe that's a great goal to get to. I think that's lovely. My mother actually is an, is a fantastic intuitive eater, but I've never met anybody else like her. <laughs> so, like it's really rare. And so I just don't, I think then what people, if you throw people in the deep end like that and say, just listen to your body. Yeah. They're like, not only do they not know what foods their body wants or what foods doesn't agree with them or how much they need or how little they need. Like, again, they literally don't even know if they're hungry. So I feel like that is maybe aspirational, but first we need to work on like baby steps. So that's how I kind of feel it. And it feels diety to me. Just what I've seen lately is like, there are rules that go with intuitive oh my eating. Gosh. Like, you know, sit there and wait till you're at number three hunger scale. Like oh. there are rules. And I think that's where at least what I've been seeing is what it feels almost like just another part of diet culture yeah. or it's being sort of, maybe that's not the intention, but I think if enough people get sort of excited about something um, on Instagram, it can change the intention yeah, yeah. of it a little bit. They probably um, have to put those rules in because of what I just said. People yeah. can't eat intuitively. Right. Most people, so, 95% of people cannot eat intuitively at this point. And that's why you asked about the difference between mindful eating. To me, mindful eating is like a great way to begin. Again, if, if intuitive eating is maybe our long-term goal, um, mindful eating is, is the way we would get there. So mindful eating allows you to, it's just, it's really just paying attention. It's just being awake and aware while you're eating. That's all mindful eating is. It's nothing fancy. And, but what it does is it allows you to start learning your body's language again. So again, I do sort of, I do this five day mindful eating challenge that I've done with thousands of people. And that's really just how we start. Like I really just have them sit just with one snack, even like just an apple, just have an apple and 
don't do anything but eat. So put away the phone, no TV, no book, no driving, no putting makeup on in the mirror while you're taking bites. <laughs> like literally sit down and just eat the apple, which is already a very uncomfortable exercise for a lot of people. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> and while you're eating the apple, just notice how it feels. And it's not like the clouds are going to part and you're going to have some answers, but like, oh, now I know everything about how my body works. No. But again, as I've been saying, like, it's all about what we practice. And so if you practice that, if every day you just had like one snack where you did nothing but eat and you just paid attention to how that food felt in your body, how your body felt while you were eating it, were you hungry when you started? Does it feel any different now? Because what hunger feels like in your body is going to be different than mine. You have to learn your own body's language. So just that little exercise, if you do it consistently, that is how you start doing some of this reprogramming work. So you're like, oh, and after a little bit of time, you're like, oh, I think I, I think when I'm hungry, it feels like this. Or I think when I've had enough to eat, it kind of feels like this, you know, you start to learn your body's language and then we can get to a place where maybe we can eat more intuitively because now you and your body are communicating, you're speaking the same language and now you can start to maybe listen and trust it a little bit more. I, I feel like that. I'm always distracted when I'm eating. Yeah, right. Exactly. When I do <laughs> the front of the television people, on my phone, yeah, like everybody, everybody think of like, when was the last time you just sat down and not even any people like, and again, I'm not saying we shouldn't eat with people. It's lovely, <laughs> but just for these exercises, when you sit down, like when was the last time you ever sat down and just did nothing but eat like no distraction, no person, no TV, no phone, no mail, no nothing like never probably, I mean, you probably can't even remember. Wow. Yeah. And it's really uncomfortable. A lot of people find, and I always warn them on that day of the challenge. I'm like, this is, this seems easy, but I'm telling you right now, it's going to be really hard. And for a lot of people burst into tears, people like tell me they just throw the, all the food in the garbage. Cause they, it's some, for some people it triggers a lot of stuff, you know? Yeah. But. Food. Um, I mean, we talk about this all the time in the show, but like, it's not about the food. Right. But like, we're still like, so what I'm getting from this is like, we kind of become emotionally attached to these, like the way that we feel from these habits. Yeah, exactly. Well, like I was saying, we, we develop those neural pathways around habits. So a lot of people, for example, come to me and they, um, they overeat all the time because they don't really feel satisfied until they feel almost like uncomfortable or even like nauseous, some people, yeah. and they'll just eat and eat because they've learned, again, they've developed these neural pathways around, cause that's just what they repeated. So now the pattern that feels comfortable and familiar to them, not comfortable is the wrong word cause they want to change it, but familiar and thus safe to your brain. So you want to keep doing it is eat, eat, eat until you're like stuffed. And that's yeah. when I know I'm done. Right. But that's, that's really not what your body, like, that's not your body was done quite a while ago, <laughs> you know, but we have these neural pathways, these habits that we've repeated. And so to do anything different feels really uncomfortable. So the real work is in being willing to be a little bit uncomfortable, right? Again, I don't have any magic beans that can make this all easy and like super quick and all that. But I think, as you were saying, like, I think the, the work is so worth it because it affects not only your relationship with food, but I have found personally and certainly in my students that it affects like every other aspect of your life. When you can kind of realize that you are strong enough to be a little bit uncomfortable in order to change the trajectory of your life, that has ripple effects. Like think of all the other places in your life that you can do that. Then it's like a superpower. Yeah, absolutely. And you talked about baby steps. So like, what is, where do you usually start with someone who has you know, just really feels lost because that's, that's why people want a quick fix, right? Because they feel so hopeless and like, there just really is no, 
um, like end to, to whatever they're struggling with. So like, if it's specifically like food and habits and things like that, like, or it's just a good starting point for someone, um, like, like this, like intuitive, uh, you talked about the intuitive eating challenge. Um, what's something else that people can do? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing with habits in general is, as you said, baby steps. So generally what people do when they try to change things, and this is often I, I find what's being sold to people through books and online and everything is huge change, right? So I'm going to, I'm cutting out sugar or I'm going to, you know, huge things. I'm going to all, they want to cut out sugar, work out seven days a week, uh, be on a diet, chicken, all of it, all at once. Yes. And of course I understand like there's, that's appealing, right? The idea that you could do all of that, that like, you know, 30 days from now, I'm going to be, yeah, working out regularly. I'm going to be, I'm vegan. I'm sugar-free. I'm like, (laughs) I get it. But that is the opposite of how changing habits works. Um, For most people, our brains don't like big change. I know it's sexy and everything online. And when we like to pay for things like that, because it feels very satisfying, the idea of it, but your brain does not like big change. It feels terrifying for your brain. And all that does is send your brain wanting to go back to the old ways. So really we have to embrace baby steps, like tiny habits. Um, BJ Fogg wrote a great book. I did some training with him last year called Tiny Habits. Um, And he really talks about breaking down those habits into like think small and then think smaller. So (laughs) to just literally start with one thing. And again, I know it's not as satisfying as like, I'm going to change my whole life in the next three days, but you're really not, right? Haven't we've tried all that. I feel like we've checked that box. We tried it. We've been trying it for decades. It hasn't worked. So we have to kind of try something different. And I know it's not as sexy and all of that, but I promise it is the path to freedom is starting small. So I just really encourage people to pick like one thing. So for some people, it's like, I'm just going to drink more water. And so we just set up a little, what we call a habit recipe, which is like how you can just start to drink more water every day, right? And it's not that drinking more water is gonna change your life, although sometimes it does, but um, it, there's a snowball effect that happens with patterns, with habits, sorry. Like once you've changed one habit, it's because we'll keep coming back to this idea about your thoughts, but when you've changed that one habit, something sometimes clicks in your brain that's like, oh, I am the kind of person who does this. I am, this is me, I am this person, you know? And so then they're like, I wonder then if I could also go for a walk every night after work. Like, hmm, how could I do that? So then we create just a little baby habit around just going out for like a five minute walk after, after work or after dinner, right? Little tiny baby. Again, I know it's not as sexy, but, but it works. And then you just build these little habits. And again, what they're really doing, sure, drinking water and going for a little walk is, is again, not going to change your life, but it is because it's going to change how you see yourself. Yes. That is then you've got a blank check in terms of changing your life. Because once you start to believe that you're the kind of person who does this, oh, I am someone who walks every day. I am someone who makes my health a priority and that I'm doing this drinking water thing, right? Now you're like, oh, then maybe I do this. Then maybe you do that. It just, it starts to shift the entire way you perceive yourself. And that's really what we have to do in order to make all the other changes happen. So I really encourage people to take one tiny thing. And again, I always say like, think small, because then they're like, okay, I'll just batch cook all my meals every weekend. Okay, Okay, now think smaller. People don't. That sounds like something I would say. It's very much like go big or go home. You know, we're going to do things um, because that's how you sell stuff. But it doesn't work. And again, it might work for like that first weekend where you buy the book and you do all the grocery shopping and right. you 
all these meals. But it's not sustainable. It's right. Not. It's that sustainable piece that I think is backward. Exactly. Yeah. And, you, and, and you, you said like, I'm sorry, I just want to say this real quick. So you said like doing those little baby steps, like, like adding more water into your day or like walking for five minutes a day, like it's not going to instantly change your life. But like, I look at like my journey, um, and it did literally just start with a commitment to walk one lap around my block every day, you Perfect. know, and now I work out, you know, five days a week and lift weights. And I mean, I, I do the things that I love to do. Yes. Um, but that's another like, great point. Sorry to mean to over, uh, no, go ahead there, but, um, doing things you love to do that is yes. key when you're going to pick a habit again, your brain doesn't like to do things. It doesn't like to do. So try and find some <laughs> right. things that you actually want to do. Right. Yes. So like for me, like walking, I actually enjoy going out for that evening walk. I take my dogs. Cause it's like, Oh, I just feel like it's, it's my time to kind of, I watch the sunset and it's, yes. it's just it feels very relaxing. So I actually enjoy that. I would not set a habit for myself of like, I'm going to go rock climb or something. Cause that's terrifying. To <laughs> right. That, right. And it's never going to happen. <laughs> So find something that you actually enjoy doing. So yeah. right, silly, Absolutely. but like, if you like, you're trying to eat healthier, what do you actually like to eat? Do you like fruit? Okay. Then make your little, your little baby habit is I'm going to eat one piece of fresh fruit a day and you go buy your favorite fruit, right. And have that, like, make it easy for yourself. Don't make it so hard. Yeah. And now we always see that, right. Like people will, they'll, they'll try to emulate what other people are doing instead of like connecting with themselves and seeing like what they actually enjoy. Um, yeah, you know, but that what should I do, what should I do? Like, yeah, exactly. And do? then they, and then they do these exercise classes that they hate and they dread it. Weird and food. yeah, I mean, and that <laughs> being said, like there are still days where I still have to like take action to do the things that I love to right. do. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're constantly trying to do things that just like make you miserable, like yeah. Not going to stick to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you got to make it easy. So like, again, that one, one trip around the block. Perfect. Or like, just, I've, I to, I've told people sometimes just put your running shoes on and like walk to the end of your driveway and back. Yeah. Like again, it's not that that's going to be a fitness, you know, it's not going to change your life, but it does because it just starts the habit of like, yes. okay, after dinner, I put my running shoes on and I walk out the front door and you know, then that becomes natural, right? After a little while, again, you develop those neural pathways of after dinner, I put my running shoes on and I walk out the front door. And once you've walked out the front door, well, now I might as well walk down <laughs> to the end of the block. I'm here. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That's what I was going to say is that that one block for me eventually turned into blocks and that yes. eventually turned into me jogging and yes. that eventually turned into me running. Perfect. And then I got exercise equipment for my house. And then once I was comfortable with that, then I joined a gym. So it's like, yeah. it just, it builds you guys. You just yeah. got to start with that little step. And I, I Whereas if like, you had just jumped in with like, I'm buying the Peloton and I'm going to join the gym, which is what a lot of people do. I would have been, yeah, it. I would have gave up. It's too big a thing. Yeah. And they don't want to do it. It's too big and they don't want to do it. So they don't do it. So I'm yeah. curious, like for people that like are already like, I have a really good example. I've been working out for a long time. I know how to eat healthy. Like I, I don't like, I have a, I've had been pretty consistent and then life has gotten, especially during the pandemic. I really use that. Cause I have a really busy, normal, like nine to five job and that changed during the pandemic. So it really allowed me to focus more on myself, which I was all like, dude, I got these habits now. It's been like a year. And now that things are very busy for me, they're slowly, but surely like I see it happening and that's part of like, so for someone like me who I, I'm not starting from scratch, you know what I mean? I'm yeah. sort of in a space where like, I know that 
I'm my I'm, my brain is going back to what's comfortable, like what yes. it's used to. And I've used willpower, I think, this whole time to, even though I enjoy it. I mean, I love working out. I love all of those things. So it's not that I don't like them or enjoying them, but I'm slowly, I feel like sabotaging myself and not making myself a priority yeah. and figuring, and, and don't get me wrong. I can't have the same situation that I had when I was sitting in my house every day for a year. Like that's not sustainable. That's not, it's not going to happen. But how do you, when someone is not sort of needing that, just put my shoes and walk out the door kind of thing, but you're sort of watching yourself fall back like yeah. a little bit. Does I think make sometimes sense? Um, so one way to think about that sometimes is um, again, we'll go back to how your brain is wired. Um, your brain is inherently wired from like our prehistoric days to it has like sort of one mission statement that it makes all your choices based on which is just very simple it's just avoid pain and seek pleasure and use as little energy as possible to do that right but basically avoid pain and seek pleasure that's all your brain is ever looking to do and when i say pleasure i mean that's what psychologists say it's a little bit of a misnomer because it sounds like you're looking for like fun but really it's like pleasure for your brain is like safety familiarity right things that are familiar and so sometimes it might be really painful, like people are overeating and or doing drugs or alcohol or whatever, right? Things that are destroying their lives. But so it's not pleasure in that sense, but things that feel familiar and safe. So given that, that we have to, that your brain is always going to avoid pain and seek pleasure. Sometimes we have to, when we're trying to make ourselves make better choices, we have to find a way to position that choice as more pleasurable and less painful. <laughs> Right. What usually what people are doing, and this is another reason why things like motivation and discipline and stuff don't work, is if you don't want to do the thing, if it feels like pain, and again, also just as an aside, the whole self-judgment piece, when you're just beating yourself up and judging yourself, that's your brain is just registering that as pain. And so all it's doing is sending it further and further towards reward-seeking behavior, right? Looking for pleasure. This is when we get into like the what the heck effect around food, right? Like I already ate all the things. I'm, I'm, I'm a loser. I'm pathetic. I'm never going to change. I might as well eat all the things. So just as an aside. But I think that one way then, given that, is that we can help bring ourselves closer to better choices is a practice I love, which is around visualization. So that kind of brings us back to some people talk about like, you have to find your why, you know? And that's really part of the visualization thing. It's like, maybe you've kind of lost a sense of like why you're doing this, who you want to be, the person you want to be, you know, the life you want to have that is full of, you know, that is full of self-love and self-care and supportive and not draining yourself every day with work and feeling exhausted all the time, but rather coming from a place where you're really putting your health and wellness, body, mind, and soul first, you know, um, sometimes we lose that. And so sometimes practicing something like visualization, where you really do some work around thinking about that future you and who she is and what her regular day might look like and how would she deal with stress and that kind of thing. I also love using um, like alter ego technique around that. So those are kind of fun tools to use for that. But all of these things help us position our choices as more of a reward rather than something we should do, which is just pain, right? Like I, I don't want to do it, but I should do it. That's dangerous territory because now your thing that you really know you should be doing is positioned as pain and your brain's not going to want to do it. And it's always going to go to reward seeking behavior. So sometimes when we use a vision or practice a visualization, it can make the healthier choice feel more like a reward because it brings us closer to that vision of ourselves. I like so, that. Because I, I noticed you do, you know, we were talking earlier, like visualization, meditation, journaling. And at first, I'm going to be really honest, when I see that a lot of times, I think of just something that's Instagrammable. Like people use that as like, 
you know, like, does it, you know, oh, I'm visualizing, I do my gratitude journal. I mean, I see oh. that a lot on Instagram is, and, and I'm not saying it doesn't have value, but because I haven't done any of that really, when I see it, yeah. I see a lot of people using that for something to post or to, you know, yeah, and I wonder right. kind of a manifestation kind of a work. little bit. And so as I was reading your book and kind of getting into that and even looking at some of your online stuff, it seems like those three things are things, tools that you use to sort yeah. of change the way your brain sort of looks at something. Yes. Yes. I mean, they help with, um, so meditation, yeah, meditation journaling and, and visualization are three tools I use a ton of meditation because it brings in that mindfulness piece of just being more aware, being more present, starting to notice your, the way your brain, um, like those old thought habits and patterns that we have, the old self-sabotaging thoughts, all of those things you start to meditation, I think is the only way you can really see yourself having those thoughts, you know, get better at seeing yourself having those thoughts. So you can then be in a position to kind of work with them visualization because of exactly what I just described. I mean, yeah, I guess it, it's probably as trendy, but there is real neuroscience behind why it works. And there's a reason why athletes and Fortune 500 CEOs and Academy Award-winning actors and stuff use visualization in their work because it really does help move you. I mean, they're not using it for the pleasure pain access, but it does help. I mean, one interesting, I'll just say a little aside, I won't go off on a tangent here, but about visualization, the reason it works is because your brain is good at a lot of things. Like your brain is an incredible machine. It's a wonder of natural science. But one thing your brain is really bad at is discerning the difference between what is really happening and what you're just imagining. Now we do this all day long, right? Usually we do it in the negative. We worry, we think about what the bad things that are gonna happen, right? This, what if this happens? What if that person thinks this? What if this happens, right? Horrible, what if horrible things happen to our family? What if we, what if we get sick? You know, we, we like to ruminate and obsess about the bad things happening. That's just a form of visualization, right? You're visualizing horrible things happening. Your brain, again, not good at knowing the difference between what you're imagining and what's really happening. This is why placebo effect exists, right? Your brain is easily tricked by this. So instead of using it all day long for negative things and worrying and stressing about things that have not happened, why not use the same powers to our advantage and start to actually intentionally put that practice to work and start to visualize what we want to happen, right? Because again, your brain doesn't know the difference. If you really believe that you are the person who runs around the block every night or who you know, makes time for self-care or who you know, does the hard work necessary to sit through the uncomfortable food cravings, if you really believe you're the person who does that, your brain will be on board. It doesn't know the difference between what is real and what you're just imagining. It's why scary movies work, for goodness sakes, right? You know you're safe in the movie theater, but you still have a whole physiological reaction to the scary things on the movie theater because your brain is easily tricked. So we know this about the brain. So that's why visualization works just from a neurological perspective. And then journaling, I just love because again, it just gets you out of your head. Like there's something about writing things down. And, and I think journaling works more for some people than others, but I really encourage everybody to at least try it because why not? It's free, it's easy. And there is something about writing things down, just getting it out of your own head. Um, that I just think helps you see what you're working with in terms of the emotional issues you have around food, the reasons you're turning to food, the, the negative self-talk loops that are going on in your head. Um, writing things down can help you, I think, have breakthroughs in a way that just sitting around thinking about things can't. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it all makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I even find that writing goals down is way more effective than just thinking about my goals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm way more likely to achieve certain goals, even if they're just small goals, if I just write them down. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's just, I don't know. For me, there's a huge difference. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There's something powerful about, and I do think there has, I I don't have it at my fingertips, but I know there's been some research into, there is something that unlocks in your brain when you, when you actually physically have to take the thought and write it with, you know, with, with your hand, it does trigger other areas of the brain than just thinking. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned meditating and I feel like that's one of those things that we, we talk about meditating, but like, I think people have an idea of what meditation is supposed to look like. And like, it's so hard for a lot of us, right. To just slow down and like, um, so can you just talk more about meditation and like, it's, it's like all of this, right. It's all a practice. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think people go into it thinking like they have to be perfect, (laughs) but, um, I was just hoping you could talk a little bit more about maybe like how to just start that practice. Yeah. Yes. I so love that you brought this up because, um, again, I talk a lot about meditation in my program. Some people are who come into my programs are already into meditation and it's fine, but a lot of people are not, or more oftenly people tell me I tried meditation, but it didn't work for me. I couldn't stop my brain. <laughs> right. Which I get all the time. So first of all, I just want to put that aside that like, that's not what meditation is. There's no stopping your brain. If you stop your brain, you die. Right. So <laughs> don't, that's not what we're trying to do. Not, nobody's trying to stop your brain. Your brain is going to think about things. It's what it does. That's what it does. You're, it's, you, that's, so to, I think we just all need to throw out the idea that that's ever what we're trying to do with meditation. Meditation is, on, and also I think some people think it's very woo-woo, like I, it's very, I don't know, some people who are very pragmatic don't get meditation. But all meditation is, it's just an exercise. It's just like lifting weights at the gym. You know, if you went to the gym and you wanted to strengthen your bicep muscle, you would lift weights, right? I don't know. I don't go to the gym. I'm assuming that's what you would do. (laughs) um, And so meditation is just the same for strengthening like your mindfulness muscle, right? So that you can be, we talked already about the importance and the value in being present and aware with what you're doing, whether it's eating or anything else, not multitasking all the time, not being so distracted as we so often are. And so that's all meditation is. It's just an exercise to strengthen that mindfulness muscle. So all you're doing when you meditate is you're sitting down for a minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever you want to do. And every time your brain wanders, because it will right away, it'll go off to like, oh, I got to put the, change the tires in the car or oh, <laughs> didn't get the dog medication or whatever. Right. As soon as that happens, or whenever you notice, you just bring your attention back. You're like, oh, thinking about the dog again. Okay. Back to like focusing on my breath or whatever these different tools you can use in meditation to, to anchor that focus. And you'll think about that. You'll focus on your breath or whatever again for half a second and then you'll be off thinking about like what we have to do for dinner or you'll be thinking I'm not doing this right or what am I supposed to am I doing this right is this how this works or is the timer even on I'm sure it's already been 10 minutes (laughs) Um, and so then you're like oh right thinking again just back to attend and every time you do that every time your brain wanders and you bring it back think of that as like a little rep that's like you just did a little rep in fact there is a lot of research that shows that people who say they can't meditate meaning their brain wanders a million times during that 10 minutes or whatever are actually getting more benefit from the meditation because they're doing more of those reps they're bringing their attention back a million times as opposed to somebody who's maybe a very experienced meditator maybe their brain only wanders like 10 times during the 10 minutes they're getting less benefit from that session because they're doing fewer reps, right? Quote unquote reps. 
So there is no doing it wrong, honestly. Like people overthink meditation. And I think that's in part, because like again, a lot of people are selling programs on meditation. So they're trying to make it sound as if it's very complicated. It's the easiest thing in the world. Sit in a chair, sit wherever you want, sit in your car, in the parking lot at work, whatever. You don't have to sit cross-legged on the floor and say <laughs> ohm or something like that. Just sit where you're comfortable and where you you're- You don't kidding. need the sound bowl. No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, no, sit down wherever you feel comfortable. Uh, hopefully where somebody like your children aren't going to come bother you for 10 minutes or something, set a timer on your phone and literally just close your eyes and just, just notice your breath. Don't breathe any different way. Don't count anything. <laughs> just notice how you're breathing. Literally just let your body breathe the way you normally do and just notice it. Notice the air coming into your body and the air leaving. And again, after doing that for about half a second, your brain will go off and be on something else. Perfect. Just bring it back and then focus on your breath again. Again, it will go off again a second later. I always think of it as like, um, I have dogs. So I think of it as like training a puppy, right? So if you got a puppy and you were teaching her to like sit, right? You would bring her over and you'd like sit her down and she'd sit and then you'd be like, yay. And then like, she'd see a, you know, a dust bunny or something and she'd be off. And you'd be like, no, like you bring her back and you'd sit down and then she'd be like, oh, she'd be sit. And then, you know, she'd see like a sunbeam and she'd be off and you'd bring her back. You, you wouldn't say like, well, this puppy can't meditate. I mean, this puppy can't sit like this puppy's broken. This is not the kind of puppy that sits, right? <laughs> but you would know that you just have to keep practicing with her, right? And, and the more you do it, she'll be able to sit for longer and longer periods of time without being distracted, right? It's like, it's a practice. So, I mean, there's lots of great apps great. out there. Like I love, you know, Headspace or Me Calm too. or, you know, those are great for people too. Some people like sort of a guided meditation to help you stay focused. That's great too. Um, I think whatever works for people. But I think honestly, people just are really thinking it's way more complicated than it is. That was yeah. helpful though. To explain yeah, that was that super way. helpful. I'd never thought about it in the sense of like repetition, like reps, like like yes, any other like type of workout exactly. that you're doing. And I think you're working, thing, you're working out your brain. Yes, muscle. exactly. You're just building that mindfulness muscle. And you really are like, there's, this is not just, I mean, there's MRI imaging around how you are literally strengthening that your ability to focus and whether that's going to be focusing on what you're eating or focusing at work or focusing when you're with your kids, like meditation helps. I mean, it helps so many things. There's so much research out there now about meditation oh. in terms of stress reduction, reducing inflammation, helping your, you know, cardiovascular system. Like it's, it's go on and not helping sleep, like everything. So it's worth trying. I think given that it's free and it literally takes minutes of your day. Um, I think the thing to know is just, yeah, you literally can't do it wrong. And we have to resist the urge to like beat yourself up about it. You know, sit down, do your 10 minutes or whatever. And whatever it was is perfect. That's what you, that's just where your brain was today. Maybe it was crazy busy. Maybe your brain was like all over the place today. Maybe it was a little calmer the next day. You know, it doesn't matter. Whatever it was, leave it behind. You did it perfectly. I think that's the key. There's no wrong way. And I think a Absolutely lot of people not. think there's a right way. No, I have sat down. I've been meditating for years. I teach meditation. Like I'm a certified meditation instructor. I, just yesterday I was meditating and I've got a whole bunch of stuff going on right now. I literally sat there for 20 minutes. I don't, I don't think I concentrated on my breath for more than a minute, <laughs> but it was fine. It's fine. The little bong thing goes off after 20 minutes and it's perfect. I did it. It's done. It was what it needed to be. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. Well, this, this has been great. such an amazing conversation. I think our listeners are going to hopefully get a lot of useful uh, tips fun. that they can, yeah, apply into their own life and start to take those baby steps to change those habits. Um, if people want to find more about you, where can they find you? 
Yeah, they can just go to uh, my website is sarahbest.com. Um, no H on Sarah. So S-A-R-A-B-E-S-T. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of free resources on there. Like we have a, a, a some help around nighttime snacking and self-sabotage thoughts, all those kinds of things. So they can find me there. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Sarah Best Nutrition. And you can pick up my book, uh, Turning Off the Tap, Overcoming the Real Reasons We Overeat. It's on Amazon in Kindle or paperback. Awesome. awesome. Thank you so much Thank for you. having this conversation with Thank us. This is really so great. Fun. You guys are just lovely. And it was I'm excited. Yeah, a super fun conversation. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please leave us a review. We greatly appreciate that. And we'll see you bitches next Monday. Bye.